Psst. Hey, you. Want access to exclusive secret ops intel? Check out the link in the description. Probably, I would say maybe three, four years ago, I started hearing it um, and started using it. It's definitely now all over the place. A fractional, in a nutshell, is a part-time leader. Welcome to Secret Ops, the podcast uncovering the world of business operations, one episode at a time. I'm your host, Ariana Cafone, and on today's episode, we are talking to Karina Mickley, who is a fractional chief operating officer, a workflow consultant, and also the founder of Fractionals United, a community bringing fractional leadership together. We get to dive into a lot of fun topics this episode, including what the heck is fractional leadership and why does no code and low code tools actually matter? It's great. And Karina is an absolutely lovely person. So I hope you enjoy. Karina, welcome to Secret Ops. I woke up this morning and the thing I was looking most forward to was talking to you because I feel like we have been living parallel lives and we never have talked. So welcome. Thank you. I agree. I'm, I'm re- I was looking forward to this as well. It's so funny that the first time that we talk is uh, going to be recorded and sent to the world. But what better uh, reason to talk about operations than with somebody who has had a very similar background to my no- my own, but also very different. So for our listeners, why don't you break down your journey into operations and how you got into this kind of work? Sure. So I actually started out many, many years ago as a high school English and creative writing teacher. I did that while I was still in college, which was interesting. So I was a 19-year-old teaching 14, 15-year-old girls All girls school, not easy, got burned out because discipline was an issue. I looked almost, you know, I I, I looked younger than I was and they weren't very um, academically inclined. As a previous teenage girl, I can only imagine how insane that situation was. (laughs) It was also a culture shock because like I'm from the Ukraine and God forbid I should have ever talked back to a teacher. I would have been punished so badly, but American parents apparently think differently. So yeah. Um, After doing that for three years, um, I had had enough and I decided if I can't teach the books I love, let me help make them. So I forayed into publishing Um, as everybody else who wants to go publishing, I wanted and thought I wanted to be an editor, but I, the first job offer I got was for production assistant. And I never looked back because it was so much better suited to my ops brain, which I didn't know was a thing back then. What, what does a production assistant do within the context of that industry? I, I just, I absolutely know nothing about it. You know, like I was production assistant, then editor and whatever. And basically what production, um, book production is, is like once they decide to publish a book, um, you know, the editor works with the author to get it to the place where it's readable, but then production takes over and gets it actually literally produced. So production will work with a copy editor, a proofreader, a typesetter, a designer, like think of them as like kind of like an editorial project manager. 
because they're literally responsible for like taking the manuscript and doing everything that needs till it's like a finished thing in a bookstore or on your Kindle or whatever. So yeah, I, um, I used to refer to it as like an editorial project manager because that literally is what you are and you like interact with everybody and you get it done, which is what operations is, right? And you would have to know everything within that process because you're you're pulling all of the strings in all the different directions. So that was like a preview of operations within that world. And what happened uh, next in your journey? So I worked my way um, up to the point where I was um, managing four departments and 30 people um, in various companies. And unfortunately, that was also when Amazon and digital was happening. So after one too many reorgs and layoffs, I just got tired <laughs> um, and started dipping my toes into other industries. And it was actually really challenging to like I knew I had the op skills to take to another industry, but because I had spent so much time in this one vertical, it was really challenging convincing others to let me try to do it in another industry or vertical. Luckily, my first uh, bridge job was a business manager for a small niche publisher, and I managed um, customer service and warehouse and fulfillment and other things. And then I was more easily able to be like, that happened to be a publisher, but I was managing the business so I can manage your business too. Just in this little preview of the journey here, you took the writing and teaching, bring that into the publishing world, understand forwards and backwards how to get books published. Then you springboard that into not only doing that for another company, but also building upon that skill with more operational practice and experience. I see. So you're just compounding it. Every little bit is just adding to the journey. <laughs> That's a cool way of looking at it. But yeah, so then I just, I was like a, a freelancer consultant, whatever, for like going forward. And this was before fractional was a thing, but that's basically what I ended up falling into. I used to describe it to people that no one starts a business to run the business. You know, they have a passion, a service, an offering. And then as soon as there's any modicum of success, they get overwhelmed with the people, the systems, the the day-to-day. -day. So they would hire somebody like me to run the business for them. Um, and then at any given time, I was like running three to five small businesses at different levels of hands-on. And that's how my brand Right Size COO came about because actually my son was the one that pointed that out to me at that time. But like, that's what I was doing because fractional wasn't a thing back then. And along the way, like, I picked up like all these various different like certificates or like degrees to try to like, prove to others that I, I had the thing that I knew I was doing. And of course, learned a whole lot along the way, like no code and you know, like when you do operations, like you, like I, I tell people I'm, I know enough to be dangerous and in, in all these things, because if you, if you manage all these functions, you need to understand, like you don't do the things yourself, but you need to understand enough to be able to manage and support and, and guide. Well, there's a generalist approach, which I also find I'm that way, where, again, I also know enough to be dangerous about a lot of things. And then there's the specialization of operations too, where you go very low level on whatever the niches that you have found. It seems like most folks fall into one or one of the two camps, or they'll start more generalist and find their niche. 
how did you know that you approached it in a more holistic, general fashion? So I think I realized, um, I don't remember how, but the, the areas that I enjoy most are like the people and the systems. And I just like, at some point, I read a lot of business books. I used to run a business book club and, you know, like you read the books telling you about like how to brand yourself and how to like, you know, your own like personal like pitch, right? Um, and like I used to say, my things were people, process, and performance. You know, so it's like the three P's, right? So it's it's always been like I tell people now, I can manage most, manage and optimize most anything, but where I personally contribute the most um, is the people and the systems and just the business operations, and and that really boils down to getting things done, right? Because the people, A, the people are needed. And, and, uh, and, and part is the teacher of me, part is the leader in me. I love developing people. I love enabling and supporting. Like if there was a job where I could just like mentor and nurture and like support, like that's where I would want to be. Like, and I guess that's why I'm building a community indirectly, but the people is what gets me up in the morning. You know what I mean? It's like, and that's the one thing I've actually missed um, in running like super small companies is that I don't like, I do everything and it's just, I'm a, I'm a department of one. So I definitely miss like, like having the support and the nurturing. Um, and the other, I just, I fell into systems thinking through Trello, believe it or not. And just the whole no code th through Trello, like, I used to use Trello for everything, right? It's so easy. I discovered Butler and the magic of automation. And like, it was literally like, <laughs> <laughs> kid in a candy store, just let me automate it all. <laughs> yeah, and people start like, I, I, I had this like side gig where people would hire me to build like all these like complicated, like Trello workflows and automations. And then I discovered Zapier because, you know, Butler only takes you so far. And then I took like this Zapier mastery course because I'm like, oh, I can do more of this with other things. And then discovered ClickUp and Integromat and then Coda. And like, you know, it's like, it's, it's amazing. Like it just, the things you can do with just telling something, okay, when this happens, do that. And if this, it's just, it's, it's like mind blowing. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I, I, feel you on what you're saying. For so long, I ran things on sheets, which I think a lot of people start with, right? Like you push it as far as humanly possible. And most businesses, whenever I start with them, that's where they're at. They're, they're, they're still doing that. Oh my God. The leap into this new world of no code or low code tools, we'll definitely dive into more because I think it's important that we break that down for people. To, to sum up, your journey into being a fractional chief operating officer. How many years have you been doing that now at this point? Whether it was fractional, if that was a term or not? I would say seven to eight years. And when did fractional as a like a word become a thing? Probably I would say maybe three, four years ago. I started hearing it um, and started using it. It's definitely now all over the place. Uh, you know, I had gone full time uh, with, so there was a client that I started with as a workflow consultant, um, which is something I also do, which is basically more like project based, helping clients either choose a tool or optimize, automate. And honestly, it's my excuse to stay on top of tools and like, you know, be in the know because I, I'm being paid to be in the know. 
Um, so I always like to have at least one of that because it's like brain candy. So I had a workflow consulting client, a niche recruiting company. She felt they had too many tools. They weren't integrated or centralized, yada, yada. I happened to mention in passing that I was a fractional COO. And literally the next week, she started referring to me as her COO without conversation, discussion. <laughs> it's like, it just, yeah, you are that now. You'd have no choice. You are that. <laughs> <laughs> so over time, um, she needed more and more of my time till I went full time with them. And because I was the first non-recruiting person, I did all the silly things like, you know, send myself an offer letter. I was the one who registered us. You know, it's like when you're wearing all the hats, I literally send myself an offer letter laughing <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's such a funny way to build trust immediately, <laughs> which is I, I'm going to have your best interest and I'm going to figure this out. Do you, So for our listeners who are hearing this word fractional, they're like, Karina, Ariana, what are you talking about? Can you break down what this fractional world is and what a fractional chief operating officer does within that? So a fractional, in a nutshell, is a part-time leader. It definitely implies leadership, not just like a part-time worker. And the biggest difference um, between fractional and consultants are like consultants are project-based. Even if it's a long-term project, there is an end date implied. And consultants are never fully embedded in the team. They're not going to have employees. They're not going to represent the company. They're meant to be external support. Whereas a fractional leader is a fully embedded part-time member of the leadership team. And sometimes... Like I know fractionals who like their teammates don't necessarily know they're fractional because like the only difference between a fractional COO and a full-time COO is you're part-time and doing other things. Um, but you're fully embedded. You represent the company. You have employees. You're part of the leadership team. And it's been around for a while, but like you said, it just didn't have, like it wasn't called that thing. And I think in part because of the economy, right? And that you know, people can't necessarily afford full-time C-level uh, or leaders and part also because of the pandemic and people are looking for more flexibility and fractional leadership roles give you that more flexibility. I think a combination of those two things has made it a lot more appealing and a lot more um, in the news. <laughs> A couple of years ago, I had never even heard of of that. You know, I'd only really heard of an operations consultant or a COO or you know an operations director, VP of ops, whatever. Now it's so recognizable, and I think because I focus on startups, everybody kind of wants that too. And, and for the first time, it's I almost feel like the fractional workforce is democratizing strategy and leadership for companies that couldn't have afforded that beforehand. It's refreshing to see, and it's fun to talk to other fractional people too, because we're seeing a lot of the same problems frequently. So we're solving the same problems, and we realize that you could be in a different industry or in a different region, but the problems can be quite similar across those work streams. So this gets to the trifecta. So the best way I have been able to define operations is it's a combination of people, process, and technology. And if it's working well, it's it's harmonious. So let's dive into each of those and pick your brain for some pro tips um, from your many years of working within this industry. So starting out with people, you said you wake up and 
what drives you is helping others. Now, I am very connected to that as well. The question is if (laughs) it can also overtake your life. is what I've learned. I love people, but also they are the the root of my stress. So what things have you learned over the years around managing people, building people operations that could be useful? So I think um, there's, so so I'll, I'll, I'll answer this from like the, the leadership perspective, the managing people, because obviously there are different challenges with bosses and like, you know, peers. Um, but for managing people, I think the most important thing is like you have to trust the people you hire. If you are, if you can't trust them to do their job and therefore are compelled to micromanage, you've made a poor fit. You made a poor hire, and it is in, be- in their and your best interest to just help them find a better role and move on because you have your own job. And I've been micromanaged and it is the most horrible feeling in the world. I promised myself that I would never do that. And I hope I haven't. Um, And I think like in reading about it, I think it comes from one of two things. Either the manager feels um, threatened, which is silly, but human nature. Like if you're hiring, I, I think it's actually Jack Welch that said that if you are the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. I love that. Yeah. But it takes, it takes confidence, right? In your own worth to like not feel threatened by hiring someone smarter than you. And, and I get it. You know, we're all human beings. We all need our jobs. We need security. Um, so I think micromanaging comes either from that lack of confidence um, or, or like fear, right? Because like you think you are the only one who can do this and you have to have it done your way. Um, and that's bad because train them to do it right. And I, so I remember a moment where I literally was biting my tongue because I had hired this amazing managing editor. Um, and she was phenomenal, but not doing it in my pace and my way. And I remember realizing this and like literally biting my tongue. So I would not tell her how to do it. You know, like your job is to tell them what, not how. And to only be there to support them. Mm, what, not how. That is a beautiful summary of that. It's, I, I, hear, I, I hear so much of my own journey in that too, because I know when I was younger, I definitely thought that the way I viewed a solution was the best way. Um, and that just caused all the kinds of problems, right? Like it's definitely not. And I think you kind of need that to blow up in your face to prove that it's not. I think I I also learn, um, my husband says that I always learn the hard way (laughs) by falling on my face. So I definitely think that that was part of it. But it's sometimes like you have to learn that lesson by making the mistake. And especially with people, you don't know, you know, when your ego gets involved or when fear gets involved until, you, you know, you get kicked in the butt a little bit. And then it's a lesson that sticks with you, the what, not the how. This gets into the process side of things because oftentimes what I find is people that I'm helping on a leadership level are trying to solve people problems with process. And I think that has been an interesting dynamic that I've had to learn over the years where you know someone is not 
accomplishing something within a certain time frame or they're not doing the task. And so the solution is to create a task management platform so that we can see the visibility, right? Like I get that a lot. Because you have such an eye on the people side of operations, what are some things that you've learned in the process side? Like when should you develop a process versus when should you rethink how you are talking to your people or working with the people on your team? That's a great question. Um, so processes are are important, right? Like I think even with the right people, they will need help um, with some kind of like a simple process. And there's actually, there is one tool or process that I think I have implemented, I don't even know how many times now. Um, I used to call it in, in my publishing days, um, I just called it like a communication system. And it was so simple. It literally boils down to, when this change happens, these are the people that need to know. When that change happens, inform these people. And it was literally just helping people decide who needs to know what. Oh, the book is going to be late five days. Marketing needs to know. Maybe editorial needs to know. So it's as simple as just literally. Like I, I say it's common sense, but my husband always tells me common sense is not common. So... <laughs> 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 so it's just literally connecting the dots for people that don't necessarily think that way and giving them a cheat sheet that they can stick in front of them so that they remember that if this happens, tell that person. And and I, I went so far as to create distribution email distribution lists for them and templates just to make it as simple as possible. So it's a no brainer because everything falls apart if you're not communicating. Hello, fellow thinkers. Now, if you have been a loyal listener of Secret Ops, then you already know about our sponsors, Baron Fig, the company that makes tools for thinkers. Now, I'm totally biased, but I really think that Baron Fig has the best product suite for thinkers and operators alike. And you know what? I'm not the only one that thinks so. Bloomberg said, and I quote, that Baron Fig's products are, quote, high-end and well-crafted, which they absolutely are. Their Confidant Notebook is the most delicious notebook that you will use with the most perfect dot grid paper. But it's not just Bloomberg. Actually, fun fact, New York Magazine, they tested 100 pens to find the top pen. And after testing all of those pens, they rated Baron Fig's Squire pen the number one pen. The number one pen. It's not just me, y'all. You got to give them a try. And guess what? We got you hooked up with the discount code. If you go to baronfig.com today... Enter in the discount code SECRET20 and get 20% off your next order of $50 or more. Again, that's SECRET20 and get 20% off your next order of $50 or more. Oh, I'm like so jealous that you're going to get to see all this for the first time because they're, they're, their products are so delicious. Anyway, uh, enjoy, have fun, let us know how you use the tools and let's get back to the show. And it's hard to know now with the different styles of communicating, you know, is it a meeting? Is it a document? Is it a walkthrough in a loom? But that also allows us to try different things because different teams are going to respond differently to that as well. Um, like I have some clients that just love loom and I love loom. And so we're just looming, recording videos, sending them five minute videos back and forth and other clients, like we hop on a call, you know, it's a call. <laughs> we share our screens and and that is also, I think, part of that process creation is, is knowing your audience and knowing the the culture that you're walking into and, and what's been created before you so you know what to build upon next. 
Then let's hop into, I think, one of our favorite parts uh, as I pull up my glasses like a nerd, which is the technology piece. This is where I want to talk about no-code and low-code platforms and technology. Can you, for our audience, just explain what no-code and low-code is? Um, so back in the day, um, you would have to be someone like my husband, who's a programmer, um, and, you know, to, to build anything and or spend a lot of money, you know, on some pre-built product out there. And those were your two options, you know, like, you know, pay for something that exists or hire someone who can build you something custom. Nowadays, um, with no, so, so what low code means is that you don't really have to know a lot of programming. Like you may just need to figure out, you know, some kind of a language or how to like put in, um, you know, like put in some kind of constraints, but it's, it's a lot of it is very easy to learn and understand and you don't have to be very technical. And then no code takes it even further where it is like, you know, you just pull an arrow from here to there and, you know, click this and connect that. And it's, it's meant to be like super easy for non-technical people. Um, and both of those have really, really empowered, like, I think operators and, and other, in you know, other functions as well, because, you know, like it means that if you need something, you don't have to like ask someone else to do it for you. Um, and you don't need to find a crazy budget to get it done. Um, here's an example of the power of um, no code, low code. So when I was at my busiest, I would have um, five or six different emails and five or six different calendars. And putting any constraint on how many meetings a day was impossible because Calendly is phenomenal, but Calendly only lets you limit per event type, not across your entire calendar. I then discovered SavvyCal, which is awesome and does allow you to, you know, limit um, across all calendars, but it doesn't include internal calendars. I mean, internal meetings. It only limits those scheduled with the link or any of the savvy Cal links. So you could still have too many meetings if you have people, you know, internally in any of your, you know, clients or orgs. Um, I happened to be on a Coda webinar with a wonderful Maria Marquis. Um, and they were, you know, it was demonstrating what could be done with their uh, Google pack, the GCAL um, pack. And that was just like, oh my God, I can build myself the solution. And I did. Love it. I love it. So taking a step back because I, we're going to go so hard on this. I'm going to try and keep it high level for everybody. The world before no code tools or low code tools was either Excel or you build a custom platform uh, using code and you would need developers, right? Like there was those extremes. And then what's happened, I would say probably in the last 10 years, like in a in the last three years at more of an extreme level is there's these middle tools that are stronger and have more functionality than an Excel sheet, um, but they're not so technically difficult to understand like a custom product that somebody with little technical expertise can build a solution for themselves. I find when I work with clients, I rarely ever recommend a custom build. I'm working with startups, price matters. And two, 
who's going to maintain that? Are we going to hire a developer to maintain that? It just doesn't make sense for the, the size businesses that I start with. And it's funny, I think as somebody who has been technical, people wonder, you know, like, what are you doing with your web development school skills now? And I'm like, I am learning the heck out of this no-code platform. <laughs> Do you have that moment when you're working with, with clients and you build a solution of a problem that they have been trying to fix, but they don't have the, the knowledge? You show it to them and there's just that utter excitement that not only did you figure out a solution, but they can actually go in and change it. They can edit it. Are you seeing that with your clients? Yeah, not as much as maybe you, because I'm doing it from like an operations workflow perspective. And so they just want it fixed and they don't want to know. About it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, there will be like for especially the workflow consulting clients, I will need to have someone internally who will maintain it and train them. There are those that, yes, they're like, ooh, okay, which is can be dangerous because I've learned the hard way that you need to like, put guardrails and controls because they will break the thing you have spent hours doing. Also, the the con, if we say with no code or low code tools, is that if you are in that world a lot, you will push the boundaries on any tool that you you work with. So I definitely am always ba- bouncing up against those boundaries and, and working with the, the technical team behind the scenes to give them feedback on things that you know I need or clients need, which this goes nicely into the inside scoop where we pivot from people, process, and technology, and we look at operations from a high level. And we get you know, the real advice from you, Karina. Like We want to know what the details are. So to kick off, having been in operations for so long, what do you think people get wrong about operations? Well, the first thing is people don't value it, unfortunately. Um, it's like, it's, we're the unsung heroes. If you look at startup jobs, you won't see operations until like things are breaking, they're overwhelmed, they don't know where to go. Then they're like, oh, we need someone to do all these other things that is not sales and technology and product and blah, blah, blah. So I wish in my ideal world, people would understand that you bring in an ops person first because then you can scale more smartly. And like, it doesn't always have to be a dumpster fire, right? Like you can... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it does, that's that's the takeaway. It doesn't always have to be a dumpster fire, folks. Come before the fire starts. <laughs> please, please. It's true. It's true. Um, but other than that, I think it's like so I'm one of those few ops people that doesn't like documentation, which I admit is weird. I feel like it's a necessary evil. Like, do I like writing documentation? Not my favorite. Do I know we have to? Yeah. You know, do I need like two cups of coffee before I do it? Of course. So my trick is I tend to outsource it to the people doing the work. Oh, okay. Because think about it. That's like, smart. Yeah. If you're training someone, having them write the documentation gives you a chance to see if there's any disconnects because there often are. You know, then it's their job to maintain it, which makes them feel more vested and it's easier to maintain because they're the ones on the ground doing the work. And then you have already something to hand off to the next person. I'm stealing that. Thank you so much. (laughs) Uh, We'll see you next time. No, just kidding. (laughs) 
Um, that is, it's brilliant also because I sometimes fall into that thing where I'll make a documentation or a walkthrough and nobody really looks at it um, until something uh, happens and they need to fix it. And then that's when all the questions come in. So that preemptively just takes care of it before it needs to happen. And then the timeline is much tighter on fixing it. That is a great pro tip. I'm taking that. Yeah, it's a hack I discovered a long time ago out of necessity. Mine is a uh, data cleanup. Like, mm. oh my god, um, it is. It's so necessary, but so mind numbing. Um, and man, it's it's a, for all of you people who are cleaning up data. I see you. I see you out there. So let's talk about what the hardest part is about operations. Like when you wake up in the morning, what is the thing that you least look forward to? I guess since we already talked about documentation, we'll we'll rule that out. Besides documentation, what would you say is the hardest part? You don't know how your day is going to go. There is no like you can have the best laid plans, you can time block your calendar, you can do all the productivity tips and tricks out there, and then something goes wrong and there goes your day. You know, like if you are to be successful in operations or biz ops or chief of staff or any of these like nebulous in between getting things done roles, like there was a time where like I was reading all these like productivity books and I'm like, why can't I apply any of this crap? Like it's like, why am I who is supposedly like a productivity guru and all organized? Why is my day never? (laughs) (laughs) And I never apply this to myself. And I just finally realized it's because I'm in charge of like enabling everything else. And I'm the one everything comes to. You can't necessarily be like efficient and productive when your job is to support everything else. That just um, took years of my life and made sense of it. <laughs> because I I can't tell you how how the struggle, you know, the calendar blocking. I have multiple task lists, my inbox tracking, my, you know, you've got my like a uh, toggle analysis of my time and nothing really worked. And it's because we are the puzzle piece that changes based on the puzzle pieces around us, right? So, so we always are at the beck and call of what the day gives us, even if we plan. Because I know that you're a planner. I'm a planner too. But operation says, nope, your plan goes out the window, you know, when you wake up in the morning. And that, it does make so much sense. It also makes me think I should be a little bit nicer to myself because it's always, it's, it is frustrating when you really care about the thing. You're like, I should be able to walk the walk in my own life. Why can't I? It's like, well, because your life is, is surrounded about doing something that supports others that will always change. Wow. That makes so much sense. Jumping from hardest part of operations, what's your greatest joy? What makes you little kid happy? What makes you walk away with a big smile on your face? Um, solving problems. Mm, yummy, uh, right? Yeah. It's like when I see something I've rolled out just work and make, you know, make something easier or it just goes on pl- as planned, which is rare. But, you know, like it's it's the like my favorite word is optimize, right? And that applies. And I literally have a bracelet that says optimize. <laughs> so are you selling that out of your website? <laughs> that was my that was my word of the year, like two years ago. And, it, and like, you know, I, um, I got the bracelet to remind myself of it. Not that I need the reminder, but it's cool. I love that. It's just like, 
helping get things done, right? It's it's like helping people on the people side, helping them feel like they're making a difference and they are seen and heard and part of something. On the operations side, giving people the tools and the instructions and removing like the stupid crap, you know, and, and just letting them do their best work. It's it's figuring out how, oh my God, any day I can automate something is a day I smile because it's like, I used to joke that, or not joke, I used to say that I got into automation because I'm lazy because anytime I see myself doing something over and over, I'm like, there's got to be a better way. So any day that I can do that for myself or someone is like a good day, you know? So it's it's at, at the, underneath it all, it's just like solving problems or puzzles, like you said, you know, making things happen. It's funny. I don't know about you, but I love solving problems within my work, but I actually love doing puzzles like straight up. I just love a puzzle. Um, do, do you like puzzles? <laughs> so my husband and I, um, during COVID, fell into jigsaw puzzles like in a massive way. And then we went one step further. Like we only got like there's this company, um, I'm blanking on the name, but basically they make puzzles out of artwork. So we would only get puzzles we wanted to see on the wall. And we have like framed puzzles all over the apartment. Okay. This is a really important question. Uh, do you have a puzzle board that's been on my wish list for years? I just haven't jumped in. We ended up returning it and we just bought big um, cardboard, you know, like those like constructions and just move that around because it's way more portable. So we have a bun- like a few and like, because my husband would then, um, when it's finished, it would stay on there till he managed to like, what it would, those coverings of the clear coverings to like, uh, reinforce the back of it. Yep. I can't remember the name of it. Yep. So yeah, we had a whole system to it. Like, and we have like several of those cardboards so we can move them around with us easily. Oh my God. I love that. My, my husband, when he looks at a puzzle, he gets like stressed out. So I'm just doing puzzle by myself all day. <laughs> So I, I I'm jealous of your buddy. Uh, let's let's shift slightly because you really care about people. You you really care about building community. Obviously, you care about solving problems to make people's quality of life better. That is a mission that is clearly in your DNA. Recently, you have launched a community, Fractionals United. I'm a part of it. You should join. Um, can you talk about why you created that and the mission of what you're trying to build with it? Um, so when I came back to the fractional landscape after having gone full time with that client, um, I came back to a very different fractional climate, right? Um, on the one hand, it's way more popular. There's more of us. Everyone's writing and talking about it, which is great. Um, but it's it also felt lonelier and harder um, because it's still hard to find the work. You know, it's not common. And if you are not a networker or business development guru by nature, which I'm not, it's hard. Um, And I had joined so many wonderful like operations communities um, the last two years that I was like, okay, where's my, where's my fractional tribe? You know, like, I don't want to do this on my own. And I was honestly surprised. Um, Like I had this idea on January 7th, that evening I started Googling expecting to find it, couldn't find it. Like I found platforms that supposedly help you find the work. I found one community on the other side of a paid program, which I just like, I, I wanted a community first community for its own sake. Um, couldn't find it surprised. 
um, decided, okay, maybe this is the one thing that, you know, because usually my ideas, like I'm usually the integrator, not the visionary, right? So any idea I come up with when I Google exists and this one didn't, I'm like, okay. Um, So I put up a free Slack, messaged a bunch of my communities just to see if there was interest. I had over 50 members by the end of that weekend. Wow. Yeah. And now we're, this is our 10th week and we're over 700. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's insane. Yes. So obviously I wasn't the only one feeling the need. Wow. I didn't realize it had grown that quickly. I had seen a lot of conversation, but it's like you don't kind of pull back to that level to see how many people are needing that kind of support, especially because we are sort of isolated to ourselves and our clients. And I, it's so funny. We there's a Slack uh, that we communicate on, and I I had a particular problem uh, around technology. I was like, you know what what I would normally do is I would research all these top ten lists around the technology that I'm looking for. I'd set up phone calls, and I thought maybe I'm just going to do this differently. And I thought about Fractionals United dropped in the tools uh, channel. Hey, what is the best AI time notes? automation tool. And I got like 12 responses in maybe an hour, two hours, and people are messaging me directly. That's the kind of stuff that we as operators need and as fractional people need because there's too many tools. There's too many options. We do not have the time. I, I mean, I could spend all day looking for these tools. So what you're doing is really connecting the dots in a way that gives us that that community we just don't have um, in our in our own work. What would you say has been a happy surprise in creating Fractionals United? I've always wanted to build something. You know, we're we're builders, but I usually build something for someone else. This is the first time I'm building something for myself, and it's kind of nice being in the founder seat, which I've never done before. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stress and responsibility and I'm lear- like, I've never done this before. So I'm learning, you know, as I go along and hopefully don't crash the plane while I'm flying it. Um, but it's actually nice being in that founder seat and knowing this is this is my baby, right? Mine to nurture, mine to grow um, and also not having a boss. <laughs> <laughs> that is always an added bonus. What do you think, what does it feel like? Because I think for a lot of people who are listening in operations, you know, we have been the behind the scenes people. And that is part of why I wanted to start this podcast is to bring those people to light because they make, we make the world turn. If you don't know, we, we work our tails off to make things work. So in shifting from being, you know, behind the scenes operator to leading and being the visionary, what does that feel like to, to take that new role? It's really interesting. It's funny because a couple of weeks before I did this, um, I'm part of like a, a great community called COO Forum. And occasionally COOs become CEOs. And I actually was talking to my husband. I'm like, I wonder if I could do that. And he's like, no, you're not a salesperson. Like you don't want to be out there among people. And then this happened and I'm like, well, <laughs> so I think, I think, you know, for us, um, and and I think for people in general, like it's got to be something you really believe in because otherwise you, it's hard to put yourself out there. Um, I, I've been joking that one day I'm going to write a book and the title will be The Accidental Founder, How an Introvert Became a Community Builder. <laughs> oh, I love that. I mean, now you got to like trademark and copyright that. That's too good. That's too good. <laughs> 
So it's it's been a learning experience, but it's been a good one. And I would say like, if there's something that you believe in, do it. It's like, we actually as operators, so not to name names, but they're like, there's like another community and it took him like a lot longer. Like I think he had the idea before I did and it took him a lot longer to get to where he is and he's behind. And I, he was surprised at how quickly like I moved, but that's the operator in us. Like who better than us? Like we get stuff done. I won't say the SHIT <laughs> we word. We get shit anywhere. done. We get shit done. I'm, I'm saying it for us. Yeah. Cause it feels good. And it's true. Yeah. So it's like, I literally had this idea on a Saturday by Saturday night, I had a free Slack. I had a landing page. You know, I had bought a domain. Like I did all this literally in one night. I love it. it it's true. If if we can, as operators, hone our ability to be visionaries and also support each other to practice that skill set, I feel like we're going to start seeing some new stuff in the next couple of years. And that makes me really excited. I would love to see more founders who have a foundation in operations. I want to see what they're building. I want to see what they're thinking about. And so much of uh, people who are founding businesses, you know, they're branding or marketing and, you know, we can have everybody at the table. I just would love a couple more of us in there. So if people wanted to join Fractionals United, what is the best way to go about doing that? And what do you need to, to have within your career to join? Sure. So we actually have um, on fractionalsunited.com, there is a uh, a link or you just click on join the community and it takes you to simple code of form, of course, um, which, you know, is very easy to, to uh, fill out and I get it and I review them all. The only things you need, um, you're either an existing practicing fractional leader or you are a leader considering being fractional. So... Um, you know, because it's just, you know, if you're if you're like an, an individual contributor, this is just not the community or, you know, that's not what fractional work is. So I just want to make sure that everybody who joins uh, is at least a leader, either, you know, current, currently fractional or considering fractional. Great. We'll make sure to link that that um, your website as well in the, in the description for this episode. All right, we're going to get to the questions about you and some fun facts that we can take away. So they're going to be rapid fire. We're going to throw them at you and you just go with your gut. All right? Okay. I'm like shimmying over here. We're going to do this. All right. What is your favorite part of the day? Night. Why? I'm not a morning person. I go to sleep really late and I wake up late. I used to like the most of the companies I've worked for are Pacific time zone hours because that just works. I am not a morning person. So night by default, I think is what we're hearing here. Um, what book are you currently reading? I am reading um, Anne Bishop's latest book. She's an amazing fantasy writer. She does like a little bit of dark fantasy, but she is she created this world called Black Jewels, which is like, this is like book 10 or 11 in the series. And like, I couldn't put it down. Like, she's just an amazing, you fall into her world and love these characters and don't want to say goodbye. You know, it's just, she's phenomenal. Anyone who likes fantasy should pick it up. All right. What is the best purchase under $50 that you've made? Oh my God. That's a hard question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe this. <laughs> your water bottle it's not it's 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 feel I don't know why it just feels good in my hand it's nice and smooth it's compact it looks good I live by my yeti I get it uh 
<laughs> what is your favorite quote? Uh, wow. Um, uh, what's the what's the Yoda one? If at first you don't succeed, try try again, or the equivalent of that one. Yeah, I love that. Uh, mine is try again, fail again, fail better. What's the most important lesson that you've learned so far in your life? There is always tomorrow. Things happen for a reason, even if you don't see them right now. Um, as long as you have your health and family and, and tomorrow, it'll get better. Last one for you. What do you want to be when you grow up? Ooh, can I say rich? <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I've been so many different things and I'm still figuring it out, but... At this point, I hope Fractionals United becomes a thing that I can keep doing and that I can figure out, you know, get sponsors and partners so that um, there's income coming into the community so I can keep, you know, growing it and, and hire people to help me grow it and, you know, keep a fractional client or two on the side just so I'm one of you guys always. But just something that's my own and then doing the things that I enjoy doing for others, like I think that if I could figure out how to do that, that I would be very happy. Beautiful. So we're going to link to Fractionals United, but outside of that website, where can people find you? Um, .com. My I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I think those are the two best places. Karina. I want to thank you on so many levels. Uh, one, for building a community to help fractional people connect and for doing it with such a pure mission. You just are really passionate and you can feel it in your slacks and how you are. You're just a very warm, kind person that wants to make the world better. So I really appreciate that. Also, I just appreciate you connecting and being also a female leader in operations. It's really nice to have another one. So I just want to thank you and for your time, obviously, and your knowledge. I, I hope everyone gets as much out of this episode as I did. Thank you. And thank you for having me. And finally, for us talking. Yay! Uh, to everyone listening, thanks so much for sharing uh, and listening to our podcast. If you want to listen to more, you can find us wherever you find your podcasts or at secret-ops.com. We will see you next time. Hey, listener. Do you want to be a top operator in business and in life? Well, we at Secret Ops are here to help you do just that. Check out our monthly Secret Ops newsletter with exclusive intel just for you. From bonus content to secret resources, we've given you the VIP access. To sign up, check out the link in the description. And as always, thanks for listening.